If you're searching for more confidence, purpose, and peace in your life, then be sure to request your copy of Dr. David Jeremiah's book called Everything You Need. The good news is that God has already provided everything you need for growth. All you have to do is develop His gifts in your life. This book is yours when you make a donation to Turning Point. And when you give $75 or more, you'll receive the complete set. Visit davidjeremiah.ca for more information. Being a Christian doesn't require turning off your brain. In fact, the Bible repeatedly affirms the importance of the mind and the value of knowledge. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah shares why pursuing an understanding of God's Word is an essential part of living confidently in His promises. From the series, Everything You Need, here's David to introduce his message, Mental Focus. Well, we were told at the beginning of this series that God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And then we have this list of things that portray that kind of a life. Do we have these things? Are we developing these things? We've talked about muscular faith. We've talked about moral excellence. Today, we're going to talk about mental focus as we open our Bibles once again to Second Peter chapter 1. I mentioned to you earlier that we're getting ready for Easter in a very special way uh, with the publication of a brand new book called Seasons of Hope, a celebration of Easter. It's uh, a beautiful pre-Easter book, uh, just like the one we did at Christmas time, where there's a 25-day reading uh, plan to get you ready for the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we have to start early. We have to get this book to you. It's beautifully designed. It's filled with so much good material to get your heart hoping and ready for the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the celebration of it. We want you to have this. You can find out more about it. There's also a plan where you can get a bundle of these and have enough to send to your friends. It's a beautifully designed gift book. And I mention every time I say this, that when we did this at Christmas time, you could either get an individual book or you could order a bundle of four. And we actually had more orders for four books than we did for one, because it was so obvious that this was a great thing to share with other people. Go to the website today and find out more about it and get your heart ready for the celebration of Easter. Here's part one of Mental Focus. Bob Dwyer loved college. He had his own apartment near Northeastern Illinois University, and he was working on a degree in interdisciplinary studies. It was April of 2019. He took his final exam in a conflict communication course and he walked across the stage for his diploma that May. Now there's really nothing special about that for your typical college graduate except for one detail. Bob is 90 years young and a great grandfather. Yay! He is now the oldest student to ever receive a bachelor's degree since Northeastern started keeping records. In 2010, Bob's wife of 56 years, Peggy, passed away. The couple's nine children are all grown with families of their own. Bob's career in manufacturing gave him financial security, so he decided to go back to college and work on his degree just for the sake of learning. He said, education is always a plus, and we can never have too much of it. 
He said, I thought I knew a lot of things, and I found out there was a lot of things I didn't know. Isn't that what happens when you study? You find out not only what you know, but you find out how much you don't know. That's true for our knowledge of God, too, men and women. We think a lot of, about what we know. Many of us have gone to Sunday school all our lives, and we've gone to church, and we know where the books are in the Bible, and we know the difference between Genesis and Revelation and a few things like that. But the more we study and the more determined we are and more disciplined we are, the more we realize how much we have yet to learn. And that's true for me after over 50 years of doing this almost every day of my life. So as we continue to explore Second Peter chapter 1, it's important to remember that this is Peter's last letter to his followers. If you read through the letter, you'll see him talking about his exit. He says, his exit's coming. That's a great word for death, isn't it? I'm going to exit. <laughs> so he, he says, my exit is coming. And he talks about how as he gets nearer to his death, there's some very important things he wants to remind his readers about. And this passage of Scripture is among the most important things that he wants to remind them about. And he's living in a very special time. When Peter's writing this letter, Nero was the emperor of Rome. Peter was not in a good place for a Christian to be if you want to live long. And ultimately, as you know, he was crucified. He was crucified upside down because he didn't believe himself to be worthy of being crucified the same way that the Lord Jesus was. So as you read the message of Second Peter, remember that every word of this short letter was written by a man who knew these were his final words, his last instruction, his important encouragement to the people who had received Christ under his ministry. That means something. Ask yourself, if you only had a short time to deliver a message to the people in your family, to the people that you love, and you knew these were the last words you were going to be able to say to them, how seriously would you be wanting to make sure they were the right words and that they were delivered in the right way? So this is a very important letter, and with that in mind, as you read through Second Peter, you just can't miss Peter's emphasis on knowledge. Peter begins and ends his book by striking this note. Remember, we're to add to our faith virtue and to our virtue knowledge. And here is what's so interesting about Second Peter. Knowledge is everywhere. For instance, in the first chapter, in the second verse, Peter writes, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. Three chapters later, in one of the verses I remember memorizing as a child growing up, and it's one of the famous verses of Second Peter, it goes like this, Second Peter 3.18, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He begins his little letter with knowledge, he ends his little letter with knowledge. And between those two verses, he says the word knowledge 14 times, and there's only three chapters in this book. So knowledge is really critical to Peter. He knows that it's important that we know what we know. And Peter says, I want you to understand something. You need to know what you know that you know. You need to know some stuff. And what you know is going to make a lot of difference. Now remember, Nero's Roman emperor. It's important if you're going to survive, Peter says, you need to know what you know. What he tells us is that it's important that our minds are activated for God. You remember when it says in Matthew, when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul. And he said, and all your mind. 
Have you ever thought about how you love God with your mind? How you use your mind to know more about Him and to study and to grow in what you know? So the Lord tells you to diligently add knowledge to your virtue. And He isn't talking about educational degrees or IQ levels. He's telling us to enroll in God's classroom and do as Jesus said. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty nine, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Peter is telling you to follow in his footsteps, to be a disciple. And then that involves three steps, three decisions you have to make if you're going to do what Peter tells you to do as he gives you his final words. First things first. He says, here's the first decision you make with regard to the Lord Jesus. Decision number one, I will follow you. In the time when Peter wrote this, a student was noted by the fact that he had a mentor. He didn't have a classroom. He just followed that mentor everywhere he went. If you were a teacher, even like Socrates or some of the people in the early days, they were teachers, but they didn't have classrooms. Their classroom was wherever they went, and their disciples just followed after them like a little troop, like the posse. These teachers had their own posse. The students learned by the interaction that they had, and that's the way Jesus taught his disciples. Jesus didn't ever have a classroom where he brought his disciples together and said, okay, this is going to be New Testament Theology 103. No, he just taught them every day in all that he did. And that's what Peter is saying. If you want to be a learner of Jesus, you have to follow him. The Bible tells us in Colossians 2.3 that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Christ Jesus. You want to learn about Jesus? You want to be a follower of Jesus? Then you've got to get in step behind him. And Jesus said this. Jesus said, I am the truth. He didn't come out and tell us, I will tell you the truth, which he always did. No, it was much more than that. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to tell you the truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. I am the truth, the way and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So the gateway to knowledge involves your decision to follow Jesus Christ. You cannot become a follower of Jesus unless you get in line behind him. Unless you make the decision to put your trust in him and you say, as the old chorus goes, I have decided to follow Jesus. So I'm going to ask you today, will you decide today to follow Jesus Christ? Will you make it your point, your decision today to say, from this moment on, I am going to follow Jesus Christ. I'm going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite him into my life and ask him to take control of my life and forgive my sin. That's what it means to be a Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We sometimes now call ourselves in this culture, we're Christ followers. That's what it means to begin your journey into the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when this happens, when you decide to follow Christ, there's a couple things you need to do. First of all, you've got to move from the shoreline to where the Savior is. Did you know that many Christians think that there are only 12 disciples in the whole world. And Judas Iscariot was a traitor, so that subtracts one. But did you know, men and women, that the word disciple was actually the common term for followers of Christ in the early church? If you were a Christian, you were called a disciple. In fact, the word disciple is used 30 times in the book of Acts to describe people who became Christians. 
And the very word Christian, which means one like Christ, didn't come along to sometime later. Acts 11.26 says the disciples, listen to this, the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So long before the term Christian was applied to those of us who are Christ followers, we were disciples. If you're a Christian today, you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, the word disciple and Christian are synonymous. Would it make a difference to you if someone asked you where you go to church and what faith do you practice if you said, I am a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? They would look at you kind of like, oh, this guy's over the top, you know? What a wonderful declaration. It's easy to say I'm a Christian. But what if you said I'm a disciple? In the New Testament, the word disciple literally means learner. That's what the word means. In the ancient world, certain rabbis or teachers or philosophers invited people to follow them, and these people became learners. They became that person's disciple. They literally followed the teachers from place to place to get to know them and their way of thinking, and that is they were trying to absorb their knowledge. They were disciples. They were learners. And no one knew this better than Peter himself. He never forgot the day that Jesus came through his town of Capernaum, a little fishing village that I visit every time I go to Israel. And on the south shoreline of that lake, Jesus called to Peter and he said, Peter, follow me. And Peter left the shoreline of Galilee to follow the Savior. Matthew 4, 18 to 19 gives the actual story. Jesus walked along the beach. Here's what he said. He saw two brothers, Simon and Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, and they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed Jesus. They followed him all right. They followed him through the streets of Capernaum as he healed the sick and preached the kingdom. They followed him up the hillsides as he taught the multitudes and fed the crowds. They followed him into the fishing boats, tossed into the storms, into the homes packed with sinners. They followed him into the synagogues that were crammed with the curious listeners. They watched him turn water into wine, open the eyes of the blind, battle with and cast out demons. They followed him into the hot hills of Judea, into the angry streets of Jerusalem. They saw him raise the dead. They heard him say, I am the resurrection and the life. They listened to his sermons, and then they asked questions and grew in their knowledge of his teachings. If you read the New Testament, you see that pattern. Jesus would preach. Then he'd have a discussion with the disciples so he could make sure they understood what he was teaching. And sometimes he would be discouraged because they didn't get it. He told lots of stories to help them understand what he was saying. Jesus was the ultimate storyteller. Did you know that? In fact, it says in the Bible that without a parable, he never taught them. In other words, he never had a sermon, didn't have a story in it. And stories help open your eyes to the truth. So with every passing day... They saw Jesus more clearly, and they learned to love him more dearly. And slowly, they began to learn who he was and what he came to do. And in time, they discerned what he wanted them to do. So let me just say this to all of us today. We all have to move from the shoreline to the Savior. The Lord says to us, just as he said to Peter, Follow me. Be my disciple. Let me turn you into a fisher of men. That's what Jesus said. 
We never know that such a life will bring to us what it does until we do it. But whatever happens, we have Christ beside us. And if we follow him, just as his disciples could interact with Jesus, we interact with Jesus through this precious book. And we hear his sermons, and we read the discussion, and we learn, and we become disciples, better disciples. We become better learners. How many of you know now a disciple means you're a learner, and you're a Christian, and you are a disciple long before anybody heard the word Christian Everyone in this room is a disciple. Here's the question we have to ask ourselves. What kind of learner am I? Am I learning anything? You know, I started out as a pastor. And, you know, the Bible speaks of those who do what I do. The correct term for what I do is pastor-teacher. And when you become a pastor-teacher, you realize you have a lot of responsibilities. But your number one responsibility is to be a teacher to be a pastor and to be a teacher. It's a shame to me that so many guys forget that and don't understand that they're not there to be the entertainer of the church. They're to be the teacher of the church. You know, you're not there to make people happy, make people, you're not going to, mm, what should I preach on today? You know, <laughs> you're there to be a teacher of the word of God. As long as I can remember, that was my understanding of my assignment from God. I did it very poorly in the beginning. Hopefully I've gotten a little better along the way. But my greatest joy as a person is to teach the Word of God, whether it's through radio or television or books or public speaking. My job is to teach the Word of God and to help people get excited about the Scripture and learn what it says. Just think for a moment what it would have been like for Peter if when the Lord said to him, follow me, Peter said, no, I think I'll stay here and take care of my fishing business. Think of what Andrew would have lost if he'd remained with his boats. Think what James and John would have been like if they had not left their nets to follow Christ. We'd never have heard about them. We wouldn't even know who they are. Our Bibles would be missing the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation, along with all of the Petrine letters that we're studying right now. So I want to ask you, think of what you're going to miss if you don't become his disciple and become his learner. When Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men, that addressed to you as personally as it was to them. He's saying that to all of us. If you follow me, Jesus says, I will change your life. I will make you different than you are. If you take up this responsibility that you're going to not just be a disciple in name, but you're going to be a disciple in deed, everything about you will change. So what if you were to pray a prayer like this? Dear Lord, I know you have a plan for my life, and I don't know all the details, but I want to follow you, whatever that means. I want to be your disciple. I want to learn all the wonderful lessons you want to teach me. That's where you begin in the learning process of being a disciple. And I want to tell you something. I can't promise you being a disciple is always easy, and I can promise you it's not always fun. But I can tell you it's an adventure you will never forget. When you follow Jesus, he jumps you out of your comfort zone so fast it hurts going on the way out. You never again sit back and think, what a boring, dull life this is. Everything about my life is full of joy and excitement for one reason. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. 
and I try to follow him, and he takes me some places I don't necessarily always want to go, but when I get there, I find out what he's up to. And he uses me in ways I could not imagine. So if you're going to be a disciple, you've got to follow Jesus, and when you follow Jesus, you leave the comfort zone, the shoreline, and you get in line behind the Savior. I can't tell you how many people that have been in my church, I only had two churches in these years that I've been preaching, who've come up to me and say, Pastor Jeremiah, I'm quitting my job. What? Yeah, I'm going to school. I'm going to go study. I'm going to seminary. Or I'm going to do this. Or I'm to... They walk away from their comfort zone to get in line behind Jesus. And then I check up on them later. I can't imagine how God would ever do that, take them where they go and what they do. And that's the purpose that God has for all of us here. Don't ever, ever get in a situation where you despise learning. Learning is what happens when you follow Jesus. Here's the second thing that happens when you become a disciple. You move from the shoreline to the Savior, and then you move from head knowledge to heart knowledge. In a similar way, discipleship means that we move from head knowledge to heart knowledge. Head knowledge is vitally important. God gave us brains for a reason, and he's got a lot for us to learn. And we learn mentally and intellectually and biblically and doctrinally. We ought to be learning all of the time. But when Peter used the words know and knowledge in his book, he understood it was a very intimate and personal word that sunk its anger deeply into the regions of the heart. The word knowledge in this text is the word that is used to describe the most intimate relationship known to man. So when you hear these words about knowing the Lord Jesus, it's not just about you know about him. Well, just everybody in our country knows who Jesus is, and they know about him. I mean, we celebrate Christmas. Most people have some idea that that's related to Jesus, or Easter. But knowing about somebody and knowing somebody is different. I mean, I know about a lot of people that I don't know. But when you know Jesus, you know him in that personal way. Jesus said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. So the first question is this. If you're going to be a disciple, if you're going to be a learner, if knowledge is going to be a part of what you're adding to your faith, you have to make this decision. I will follow you. You begin following Jesus. Here's the second one. I will study you. Knowledge means yearning and saying, I will follow you. But when Peter speaks of knowledge here, he's also talking about learning. Learning something very mindful and thoughtful. In short, the Lord wants us to study him. To study the Lord. Studying the Lord as his disciple feeds your soul and it heals your life and it uplifts and excites you. And each step that you take into his study brings you new knowledge and understanding. Remember, the word disciple literally means learner. And learners study. After Peter and Andrew and the others left their fishing boats to follow Christ, he had a lot to teach them. I mean, they didn't know anything. They were humble at one time even referred to as unlearned men. So they were starting from zero. They were starting from scratch. They listened to his sermons, like the Sermon on the Mount, or the Parables of the Kingdom, and the Olivet Discourse, or the Signs of the Times, the Upper Room Discourse. They listened to all these sermons, and they began to accumulate knowledge about who Jesus was. He preached in the synagogues, and the arguments that he would wage in the temple, these disciples heard it. 
And they would process that information. And a little by little, they would add knowledge to knowledge and begin to grow. So when you become a disciple, when you become a learner, when you add to your faith virtue and to your virtue knowledge, God teaches you through his book. He does this through the scripture, which is the voice of Jesus. And as you read and study the Bible, the Bible should cause you to burn inside because of the precious truth that it is. Amen. Isn't that the truth? And you know, that's one of the reasons why uh, when it comes to the weekend, you should be in church where the Bible is taught, where it's lifted up. You know, the, the pastor comes to teach you and help you. But one of the things that happens when you go to a church like that is it, it whets your appetite for more study of God's Word and a desire to know it better and create moral excellence in your own life. Uh, when you go to church, you have every right to expect to be nurtured up in the Word of God. We don't need more motivational sermons. We need God's Word. And as you can tell, when you study God's Word, it's pretty motivational. Second Peter chapter 1 is a great motivational passage. Even as we go forward, we're discussing that and discovering it with every lesson. Well, it's time for the weekend. We've got to take some time off, and we'll be back here on Monday. In the meantime, get to church on the Lord's Day. Be sure to watch television. We're there where you are. You can find us. It's altogether different than what's on the radio. And uh, have a great weekend, friends. We'll see you on Monday. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, Everything You Need, visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine turning points and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of Robert J. Morgan's book, The Mediterranean Sea Rules, 10 God-Given Strategies for Moving Forward. This helpful resource is yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we continue the series, Everything You Need, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. Lawrence Peter was an educator who wrote that some problems are so complex that you have to be highly intelligent and well-informed just to be undecided about them. 
Well, I've met many people through the years who took that approach to making a decision about knowing God. They used their human intelligence to conclude that the question of knowing God was so complex that they had decided to remain undecided about it. Based on that theory, I must not be very intelligent because I decided long ago that this simple statement makes perfect sense. Jesus loves me. This I know because the Bible tells me so. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's complexity and simplicity on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.